it was like I was finally validated, I think, within myself that, you know, no matter what anybody says, <laughs> you know, because they all have their own story, no matter what anybody says, I know that everything I've put in this book is true for me and what I experienced. And when it was out there, I just felt so much peace. And then through it, I, I heard so many more people's stories as a result. Hey y'all, thanks so much for listening in today to the Confident Mompreneur podcast, the podcast by real women for real women, where we talk about real life difficulties and triumphs as women, moms, business owners, and more. Thanks so much for being a part of our Confident Tribe. Let's get into it. How are you? I am good. How are you? Good. Dizzy like everybody else in the world, but good. I, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I feel like since the last time you and I sat down, you've been so busy. So yeah, yeah it's just, I mean, it's just life, you know, it's always busy with something. Uh-huh, for real. That's how it always goes, especially as a mom who's busy and, you know, has work and <laughs> now yes. your title and everything else going on. <laughs> yes. But that's good. I mean, I like to be busy. It's all good things. I can't really complain, you know? Right. Fair enough. Well, thanks oh. for hopping on with me. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for I feel having like me. We've been trying to do this for forever. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Don't worry about it. It worked it worked out well. Yeah. So well, good. Now you've had a bunch more stuff happen since the last time we talked. So do you want to start out by kind of introducing yourself and all of the awesome things that you've always got going on? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. So I'm Hannah Redden and I am Mrs. Wyoming 2022. I've had my title for uh, eight months now, nine months now. I'll give it up in June. Um, I'm a wife, obviously, since I'm a missus, and I'm a mom. I have three kids, and then we have a surprise number four on the way. So that Congratulations, has... by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it was a, a big surprise, um, and I've been sick as a dog, <laughs> so that's been a whole other life challenge, but we're really excited, so a little fun, unexpected blessing. Um, we live in between Cheyenne and Laramie. We have a little 10 acre, I call it our little mini ranch. We've got horses and goats and chickens and dogs and all the fun little hobby stuff. Um, and then my platform for running for Mrs. Wyoming was educating and preventing child sexual abuse. So that's kind of the work that I did even before. I was Mrs. Wyoming, something I was really passionate about. And thankfully, like through this title, it's opened up a lot of opportunities to have conversations. Um, Wyoming is, I mean, as you know, like we're really heavy on rodeo cleaning. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of challenges as far as pageantry in our state. It's not well known. it's a little less revered, or I would say probably a lot less revered than if you're a rodeo queen, which is fine. Like, mm-hmm. it's cool. I know you're a 
you're a quote unquote queen, um, but you're still just a person, you know, and it doesn't really bug me that people don't, you know, bow per se <laughs> to the title type thing. Um, so it's been a little more challenging than I anticipated to get some of the work done that I wanted to do, but I was able to get um, social media safety training and consent training in my kids' local school. Just within the last couple of weeks, we had an organization come in and do that training. So that was a huge win for me. And I felt like um, even if I don't get to do anything else, that was kind of an accomplishment for my title, if that makes sense, that I was able to get that in there. Um, as far as just who I am as a person, like I'd never done a pageant before. I didn't come from pageantry. Um, I grew up being homeschooled in the Midwest and I come from a pretty abusive family. And so I'm just, just kind of your average person, just trying to do a little bit of good in this world and hopefully beyond the crown <laughs> when I give it up, I can just keep being that person. So there's a little bit of me in a nutshell. Yeah. Well, and you were that person before the title from yeah. like what I had gotten to know from you. And I think you're going to, you know, use it as, you know, just another tool to give you a step up to spreading your message, which I think is super important. Um, I mean, you and I had talked, but most people on here wouldn't know. Uh, I competed in the Mrs. Wyoming pageant a while ago too. And I think um, it definitely is taken in a wrong way by a lot of people when you tell them like you're a pageant queen. Um, they have a certain image of the person that you are that's doing that. But really, it's just like a great gathering of incredible women that all have mm -hmm. you know a platform that they want to share and it's a good way to get it out there and you know meet people and just spread spread your message so I think yeah. it's super important that people understand that that is the basis of the pageant not necessarily the beauty and glamour of it all that everybody always assumes <laughs> Right. Yeah. It's very different than I expected. And I've just met some of the most incredible women who are doing some really incredible things all over the United States. And I didn't meet a single person at Mrs. America through all of this that I, that acted too good to be there or wasn't there to support the other women or didn't think about other people as much, if not more than she thought about herself. And so I'm just really really grateful for the opportunity and the friendships and the connections that I've gotten out of it. Yeah, that's amazing. What was um, the Mrs. America like for you? Long. It was long. <laughs> <laughs> um, was, as you know, it was 10 days in Las Vegas. And I mean, I stepped outside probably three times in 10 days. It was just crazy to be an inside that long um but it was amazing I mean just not just you know waking up every day and getting to do the fun stuff like getting to have your makeup and hair done and you know getting to wear way fancier clothes than I would wear normally every day as you can see I'm wearing my bibs <laughs> my chore bibs right now from this morning 
Love um, it. Obviously, yeah, all of that was amazing. But just having the opportunity to to do something so outside my comfort zone and to really grow as an individual, not just in my abilities, but in my confidence and who I am as a person and what I can bring to this world and what I can bring to friendships and seeing, like I said earlier, so many women doing such incredible things and being so outwardly beautiful, but also being so inwardly beautiful. And so I just, I mean, I came home exhausted. <laughs> Pageant hangover is like a real thing. Mm-hmm. But I also came home with 50 new friends, you know, who if I needed something at any time, I know any one of them would do absolutely anything they could to help me. And yeah. so I just, I, I'll never do it again. I'm a one and done queen. <laughs> I'll never I'll never do it again, but I would highly recommend it to anybody interested. You won't regret it. You absolutely won't regret it. And um, you'll be amazed at the strength it brings out in you as a person. Yeah, I think that's definitely one of the biggest things is like the confidence that you get to, you know, discover in yourself throughout the process. So I think that's an amazing point to hit on for sure. And you kind of um, hit on it a little bit, but um, can you tell us again what your platform was and why it's so important for you? Yeah, absolutely. So I worked through a couple different organizations that um, I would say support. And one is Darkness to Light. They provide online education for adults specifically, and anybody can get online and take these courses um, on how to spot and prevent child sexual abuse. They have, I mean, it's like 25 bucks for this class, and it'll take you a couple of hours. So it's not a huge commitment, but it could change a kid's life. So I did a couple certification trainings through them. Um, But to be really honest, and I'm not saying this like pompously or anything, but I am a survivor of childhood sexual abuse and I grew up in a home where sexual abuse was unfortunately very prevalent and happening. So I didn't learn, I personally didn't learn a lot from those courses, but I am grateful for the certifications because it's just one more thing under my belt. You know, one more thing that I can say that I have and that I did, and I would highly recommend them to anybody else looking for any type of education on that. So you can find it online, um, darkness2light.org, I believe. Just Google it. You'll be able to find the resources. You won't regret it. Um, Also feel free to find me on social media, Hannah Redden, you know, um, where the Reddens grow on Instagram. I'm more than happy to talk to anybody about any of this. And if you have any questions or you want any more resources, um, and obviously Kyrie has lots and lots of resources as well. So to get that out of the way, (laughs) um, I, so I was one of six kids. I was the second oldest of six children. And I always try to be discreet, especially when I'm sharing this publicly, because it's not just my story. No, it's my, my family, my sibling's story, I should say as well. So I will be purposefully vague on some things. Um, but at 
17, um, I found myself in essentially like an arranged marriage situation. And within that situation, I was sexually assaulted and abused repeatedly. Um, I say by the grace of God and some divine intervention, I was able to remove myself from that relationship when I was 18 years old and my parents could no longer actually force me to be part of it. Um, and so uh, I'm married now <laughs> to now I have an amazing husband. Um, but that's kind of where that passion started because the man that was abusing me was a actually like a youth pastor at the time. So he was several years older than me. Um, his family worked for a prominent ministry in the Midwest. My family claimed to be Christian and there was just nowhere safe for me to say, this is happening to me. This is going on and it's not okay. I had nobody that I could go to, to protect me. And so as that, you know, as I got healthier and I got out of my home and did get married um, to my husband now, I just, as I healed, I realized how not okay it was, you know, because when you grow up in chronic abuse, you, it's just your life. You don't even really know how bad it is. Like something in your soul is like, yeah, this isn't okay. And you know that, but you just don't realize how not okay, like how bad this really is. And so as I matured and became a mother myself, and as I grew in my relationship with God and, and attended church more, I just realized more and more what this actually was and how wrong it really was. And so I started very vaguely at first sharing my story on social media. And as I did, like people just came out of the woodworks because this would have been, let's see, I'm 33. I believe I was 24, 23 or 24 the first time I shared on social media. So this was about 10 years ago, you know, before Me Too, before anything like this was kind of a, a trigger word to talk about, you know, before any of it was a more acceptable conversation to have. It's very taboo at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very much. Um, and so as people just like came out a little worse to support me and then started sharing their stories with me, I realized I wasn't alone. <laughs> My goodness, this was a huge issue uh, within the church specifically. And then I, that's when um, some of my siblings started coming forward to me that this is going on to them as well within our home through various avenues that this was happening to them. And then by age 26, I filed for custody of my youngest brother. And that is really where my passion for this just, I mean, just lit like a forest fire is what I compare it to because I just you know when something happens to you I mean you know this as a mom like something happens to you it's bad and you can see that it's bad and you accept that it's bad and you can talk about it and you can work on healing from it but if something happens to your child and you know my brother and I are 10 years apart and he was very much like my baby you know and when I just realized what was what had been happening to him and um just the outrage yeah it, it was just just whole other levels 
of rage and injustice were just lit in me. And um, I also found out within about the same time frame that the same perpetrator that had preyed on him had preyed on one of my children as well, much less severely. Um, but it was a family member and the situation was still very, very real, whether it was as bad as his or not, it was still legitimate and it was wrong and it was not okay. So I just threw myself into this. I mean, I, like my husband and I will probably never forget the day that it all culminated and you're just paralyzed and enraged at the same time. <laughs> it's such a, such a conundrum of emotions. Um, but we just decided we were going to do what we could. And the best thing that we could do was offer our home to him. And so we filed for custody and we went through a custody battle. Um, and that was just another eye-opening situation to how bad these situations are, especially within families, because we tried going about it. You know, I guess you would say that I don't know, the familial way, you try to have the conversations, you try to confront people, you try to get people in counseling, and that was shut down. So we went to court instead. And then that was when, um, like, our house was broken into, um, my life was threatened on multiple occasions by family members. Um, I lost, I come from a really big family. My mom is one of eight kids. My dad is one of six kids. And I lost everyone in my family, except for one aunt and uncle. Like I just, everybody was like completely against me. They didn't want the family secrets coming out essentially. And they were willing to go to pretty much any cost um, to make that happen, just to try to get me to shut my mouth. Um, and so that was a, that was a really, really hard year. I mean, I just, I was trying to do the right thing, you know, trying to fight for kids who deserved to be fought for. And I was just torn to shreds verbally. I was stalked. I was harassed. Like I couldn't even go to the grocery store. I couldn't take my kids to McDonald's. I had to have police patrolling my daughter's school at pickup and drop off. Um, because it was just such a volatile situation and it was such a small town area. Um, and as scary and as heartbreaking, you know, as those situations are, it just made the passion in me grow even more. Um, and so I, I really, I really put my focus in on him for the next several years. He did end up coming to live with us, um, and we had a whole new slew of challenges then on our plate, you know, finishing raising a teenager when you're, like, 26, you know? Yeah, right. Um, but we did it, and after several years, he, he moved out, and, you know, he's an adult now, and um, was still trying to find his way. And then it was just kind of like, all right, well, that's over. Now, what do I do? <laughs> like, he's an adult and, you know, we, I don't know. I was just kind of lost. Like, 
I had poured everything in into this for several years um, and now kind of felt like that season was over, you know. Um, so we we started focusing in on health for our immediate family. You know, we have three kids, like I said, and we moved to Wyoming. And so that's what brought us here is a fresh start, safety for our kids, not having to worry about all those extra stresses of going to the grocery store or, you know, going to McDonald's or whatever school and um, not having to deal with that just terror of somebody possibly waiting for us or even my home at my home, you know, we would, you can try to keep things discreet, but unless you're in like the FBI witness protection program, <laughs> like people can find your address, you know, all they got to do is Google you. Um, so we needed a big move. So we came out to Wyoming and then I just was looking for a next step to keep doing this work, but in a way that took me to different levels of exposure. And that's kind of where Mrs. Wyoming came in. And it just provided an opportunity for me to keep sharing it in an organic way and keep sharing my heart and my story and my vision um, in circles that I wouldn't normally get to share it in. And through that, providing other people opportunity to share their stories with me. And I think that's really, and you can probably attest to this, I really think that's where healing starts. You know, it's not always on a stage sharing your accomplishments. You know, that's not usually where you have the biggest impact on people. It's saying, hey, you know, I'm just a human too. And yeah, I have this title, but this is my story and this is who I am. And I want to share it with you. And then I want to hear about you. And you're welcome to share with me. So that's kind of the, the organic timeline of where it started, why it started, and kind of why I am here now and what I did. So does that does that answer your question? Yes. Yes, it did. Okay. So, I, I mean, I have heard your story before, and it's amazing to me. And um she's also wrote a book uh with a little bit yeah. of her story in it so I got a copy of that and read it and so that was great for me to read too I guess so one of the biggest things that um you know I really got in reading your book and hearing your story is like how you went through the healing process to heal your relationship with God after being in such an abusive you know quote unquote Christian household um, and then kind of using that against you in that way um, and also healing that relationship so that you can build the family that you have now versus the family that you kind of grew up in mm -hmm. yeah that book was so so healing I don't think I could ever put into words how therapeutic and healing it was to write my book. And I, I truly didn't expect that when I went to write it. I felt like it was something that God had called me to do and more for myself, I think, than anybody else. But when I published it, I guess it'll be, it's been about a year and a half since I, since I self-published it. And it was amazing, Kyrie. Like, 
I, I published it and it was just like, I was done with that. I can't, I can't even really explain it. And I'm not going to say that I don't still have struggles or I don't still have bad days or hard days because I always will, you know, I'll always feel the absence of things I should have had as a child. And I'll always feel the ramifications of things that happened that shouldn't have happened. But I had so much anxiety and trauma wrapped up in all of what had happened. And it was like, when I got it out on the page and I just put it out there for people to read, it was like, I was finally validated, I think within myself that, you know, no matter what anybody says, <laughs> you know, cause they all have their own story, no matter what anybody says, I know that everything I've put in this book is true for me and what I experienced. And when it was out there, I just felt so much peace. And then through it, I, I heard so many more people's stories as a result. And that was healing as well. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Sorry, I got a phone call and I tried to decline it and I ended up hitting accept. <laughs> like, went wild. So okay. Can, um, anyway, um, so yeah, I was able, I, through publishing it, I heard so many more people's stories, especially people who came from the religious sector, like I did, and began sharing, here, let me put my camera on for you. There we go. Okay, now I'm back. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, it, God really, like, my healing process, I just look at it and it really was so supernatural because I couldn't attest it to a book. I couldn't attest it to any one pastor or any one single situation. It just was so much of asking questions about myself and you know, where, where is this pain coming from and why did it start? And is this really who God is? And it, who is he not and just finding it for myself and I think that's where so much religious healing could happen for people is we live in a society where we want answers and we want someone to give them to us and that goes you know really across the board in anything we just life is hard right and if somebody can give us an answer, man, that sure makes life easier on us. Um, but we have to find it for ourselves. And I think that's where a lot of people get hung up on the healing process because it's hard work. Like, you know, healing is, it's hard, hard work and nobody can do it for you. And they can give you answers and tell you to do X, Y, Z, and that this is going to fix it and this is going to make it better. But until you just do the deep heart work and ask the questions and go back into those painful situations and grieve it and be angry and, you know, maybe even some people do have that moment of needing to shake their fist at God, you know, like he's not afraid 
of you. <laughs> he's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your anger because he, he had it too. You know, in those stories that I share in my book, like God had that righteous anger and he's not afraid of that. And so just not being afraid of feeling all the things that healing requires, which are sometimes what we categorize, I think, as dirty feelings, but they're not, they're necessary. And it it was a lot of years of just doing that and just allowing myself to feel those things and allowing myself to be angry at the people who hurt me and admit that what they did was wrong, but then also realizing I don't want to be them. And how can I, how can I feel this? How can I feel justified in my pain, but also not become the person that they are? And how can I rise above it? And so I do talk about a lot of that in my book. If anybody wants it, I'm sure Kyrie will share the link in the show notes and that type of thing. Um, but yeah, what other, what other questions with that can I answer for you? Um, I feel like that was a really great answer to that. It's just, you know, definitely that healing process. And um, I don't know if you've listened to the most recent podcast um, episode yet, but it's on my healing journey and the court process and everything that I've been going through lately. But I agree something about just like putting those thoughts and that emotion that's, you know, stuck inside you onto paper is just like crazy healing it's like you're just finally able to get it all out of your system and then can process it from there and start into that healing so I agree that that's super important so I think one of the things that people don't realize is often in these situations it's with someone close to you whether that's family or friends or something it so rarely happens with strangers what are some other things that you wish people would know or um wish that they had done for you when you were in that situation growing up I I had some some adults in my life that absolutely knew things were okay. And I just wish they would have looked a little harder. You know, when, when I, I I actually, I'll share this. I nannied for, or not nannied, I'm sorry. I did childcare regularly for a family that are both attorneys, actually, both of the adults are. And one of them read my book and got back to me. And he said, man, Hannah, like, I knew some things weren't right, but I didn't see all the red flags. And he said, you're reading your book now has inspired me to look harder at these, like, especially child custody cases that he deals with or child runaways, those types of situations. Um, and so I just like at 17, I think I shared this really briefly at 17, I tried to leave home. Um, I think I share it briefly in my book and I, I was so ashamed after I was brought back home 
um, by the police, I remember shaking, like trembling before going back to church one Sunday because I was just mortified. Like I had just been dubbed this horrible, you know, rebellious, selfish child. And I just wanted someone to see my pain that, you know, I didn't leave out of anger or hating anybody. I left because my child brain could not continuously handle the abuse that was happening within my home that I had just hit, it hit a breaking point and I just needed a break. And so I had so many good adults around me but people just looked at my family and were like oh her dad is strict or oh they homeschool so they're just a little different um and I just wish a few key people had asked some really straightforward questions because I think if they had at least my younger siblings lives I think could have looked a lot different and could have looked a lot safer and so that's one thing that, that I've thought about that I really wish. And then another is, I guess, you know, kind of along with that is I just wish adults weren't afraid to ask. And I mean, I get it. I'm an adult now and, you know, you don't want to throw accusations um but we are along with that it's like we are also the adult <laughs> mm-hmm. and it is our job to look out for all children and not in an obsessive crossing lines way but I really do wish that more adults would take their roles more seriously when they do see those questions those question marks and there were so many signs, like, I mean, my older brother was kicked out at 16 years old, like, out on the street with nothing but the clothes on his back, and nobody said anything. You know, they knew it happened, but nobody said anything, um, and there were a lot of situations like that that would go on that people knew were going on, but just didn't say anything. And it wasn't until one family, um, one family came along and she had been like severely abused by her parents. And that was the family that um, said that at 17, that I could come and stay with them for a little bit if I needed to. And she was the one person who ever said anything. And even though that was like a train wreck situation, <laughs> when I look back, like, it was just a train wreck situation and probably should have been handled differently. Um, I think that was my first step in ever being heard, like, and ever knowing that it wasn't okay and that there were adults out there somewhere who would listen to me and not just be like, oh, I'm sorry, that sucks, but be like, oh, that is wrong and that's abusive and that's not okay. Um, and so I, I just think as adults, we need to just have our ears perked, you know, to, to what is normal and what's not normal behavior. 
And I know it's hard because teenagers are hard, you know, but not every teenager, like I wasn't a kid who ran away from home all the time. I wasn't a kid. I've never done drugs. I've never smoked. I had no risky behaviors. So me taking this step should have been a huge red flag for dozens of adults who had contact with me. Um, And unfortunately, now they've come back after reading my book and been like, I'm really sorry. I didn't do anything. And you just don't want to be that adult. You know, you don't want to be an adult and you don't want to say, I saw that and I never said anything. You know, you just, if you see something, just say something and let the authorities do what they need to do. And at least you've said something and your conscience is clear, you know? Yeah, definitely. Well, and I do think that that's something to know is like from all of the people that I've talked about, talked to on this podcast and just in general, um, a lot of the time there are like, you know, those behaviors that pop up, especially in those teens, um, you know, whether it's um, drug use or alcohol or, you know, running away or any of those things, um, suicidal ideation or whatever it's called, you know, all of those different things point to something deeper that's going on you can't just blow them off because so often those things are tied back to some sort of trauma that is going on within their lives so it's just like yes you know teenagers being teenagers is a thing but when there are bigger things going on it should be a red flag for people to look deeper into the situation and I do think it's a problem of you know people not being brave enough to stand up to other people you know it's that Mm -hmm. you know it's their kids they're going to deal with them how they choose to kind of thing and we just we need to learn to stand up for those kids yeah well being a parent's hard you know sometimes those behaviors are coming not because of abuse at home but it could be at school it could be in a friend group it could be a cousin, an uncle, you know, it could be something that their parent, not their parents are doing, but someone close to them is doing. And if you're saying, yeah, and that kid, I would have never thought that kid, you know, and now they're doing X, Y, Z, then that's a red flag that that's that something, something triggered that kid to start some sort of risky behavior for some reason. And you know, every person has a different level of trauma tolerance. And what could be a life-altering trauma for one kid is not going to be a life-altering trauma for another kid. But that doesn't mean we don't speak into those situations. You know, it could be just a kid at school is chronically talking down to them and their self-worth is just bottom of the barrel. You know, it could be something as simple as that. But if we as adults aren't paying attention and we aren't being a trusted adult, like I have, my daughter's 11, she's almost 12. And she comes to me often with behaviors that her classmates are saying and doing. And, you know, I, I just, I just keep them all in the back of my mind because I have those levels of, well, you know, this isn't dangerous yet, but if it crosses this threshold, we have to say something or we need to talk to somebody 
Um, and I'm just so thankful that she has that relationship with me that she can talk to me about what her friends are going through and what they're saying and what they're doing. And I'm not saying I'm a perfect parent <laughs> because I'm absolutely not, but kids are human too. And especially teenagers, like they're just trying to make it in this world. And it is tough. You know, it's tougher even than when you and I were young teenagers. And so we just need, we need to be on guard all the time for our kids. We need to be listening. We need to keep conversation open. And, you know, I'm a, my daughter will tell you, like, I'm a pretty heavy disciplinarian. Like, I don't tolerate a lot of crap. So you can be a parent that parents and still be trusted and still be available. Like some of these kids, I was in my daughter's, I work at my kid's school. So I was in the sixth grade class and um, I think, I don't know. I just seem to have a good relationship. I think because I look younger, a lot of the kids treat me kind of like I'm younger versus in my mid thirties. Um, but they're just saying stuff like, yeah, I don't, you know, I, I use this app to talk to so-and-so because my parents check my phone sometimes. And I'm just sitting here like, you stay the night at my house. Like, I monitor your phones. Like, I know your parents. And they just say stuff like that in front of me. And I think it's because they've learned to trust me. But also, they don't see me as, like, a wag your finger, you know, adult. I'm just a person in their life. And I do call them out on things. Like, I call them out in the middle of class all the time. <laughs> but you can you can be firm and you can be an adult and you can still be approachable to these kids. And I just really would love to see more adults, no matter how old you are, being that kind of person that teens can come to and that you can listen to like those awful law conversations when they say, well, I use this app to hide my text from my parents. Like, those are things we need to be listening to. Those conversations are having. It doesn't always have to be a hard part. <laughs> you know, like, often it's those little side things that they're giggling about that you're just listening to. And we just always need to be, to be a parent, even when it's not our kid. To still love them and let them know we're there and be available. Yeah, I, I agree. And especially with all of the online things that we have now, it's scary being a parent in this online yeah. world. They're so much more accessible, you know, to everybody mm -hmm. now. So it's scary, but well, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, is there any final tips or tricks or um, resources or anything like that that you want to share with all the moms listening? Yeah. Um, if you haven't heard of Uprising YO, I would highly recommend them for any type of training. They're Wyoming based. They will travel to you. They will provide the training for free. They are just amazing, amazing people. Um, they're based out of Sheridan, but they'll travel all over the state and they can do online um, like Zoom meeting trainings as well. They came into our school and did the social media safety training and consent training. And my kids go to a very small school. There's under a hundred kids and almost the entire fifth and sixth grade class was using apps 
that uprising is saying, please do not use these because teen child exploitation is happening on these apps. Um, so they have awesome interactive trainings that they do. My kids loved it. Like they really enjoyed the classes that they provided. So absolutely reach out to them if you're looking for like a local resource that you would like to talk to. If you have any questions, um, I'm available. You can get my book on Amazon. It's called Me and Jesus Covered in Pee. And <laughs> yes, that title makes everybody chuckle a little bit. If you go read the, the summary, you'll understand why. <laughs> um, and you can find me on Instagram and on Facebook. And I just love to connect with any and all Wyoming moms or even just people. If you have any questions or you want to hear any more of my story, I just love getting to know people. So thank you so much for having me yeah. and for chatting. And it was great to catch up via here, but we should catch up in person sometime yes. too. I'll be, I'll be off this summer. So maybe we can connect and get coffee again. Coffee and cupcakes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sounds great. This, to me. this pregnant mama will always be down for a cupcake. <laughs> yeah, I figured it's that. I'm perfect. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate you. Yes, same to you. Have a good day. You too. If you love this episode, please let us know by submitting a review or sharing with the women in your life. We'll see you next time.